with DK episode five. I actually um, kind of sitting here. I had to count a couple times and record this a couple times because I kept almost saying episode four and I was like, wait a minute. I already did episode four. I'm on episode five, which means that I have been doing this for a month and a week. Uh, which is really surprising to me because sometimes um, I get really good ideas and then I'm not consistent. And I thought tonight's episode should be really special. Um, I'm going to be getting personal on tonight's podcast. I'm also going to be sharing about what my study was for my dissertation. And before you hit out of listening to this, I want you to hear what my topic is on and the importance and the reason I'm so passionate about this. So my dissertation was on foster care support programs at the community colleges, and it was focusing on best practices of the staff and how they work with foster care kids. So that is my topic, and it is personal to me because I was a foster care kid. Now, the other thing I'm going to be talking about later on is imposter syndrome, which all ties back to being this foster care kid. Now, anyone can struggle with imposter syndrome. Let's be real. Everyone struggles with it, but we don't know how to identify it. And we don't know how to sit down in that messiness of feeling like we're nothing, even though we have stuff or, or feeling like we have this opportunity and somehow we still are just faking it. So I want to talk about both things. Tonight's episode is actually, let's get personal. Um, so if you don't know, I was a foster care kid. Um, I have shared this a few times, but I think really it's important that I share why I decided to do my dissertation. So I actually want to show you guys something really cool. This is my nerd way of showing that I did something worthwhile with my life. I really have a passion for helping people who are the underdogs, are the people I want to help people who are told that they can't or they shouldn't or that they're not good enough. I want to help people who feel like they have nothing else to, to live for and, and showing them that they are worthy, so worthy of, of being loved. Um, so let, let's dig in a little bit. I am a foster care kid. I, uh, both parents, you know, split up. Parents aren't together anymore. I don't have a relationship with them. Um, in high school, I was put into high school uh, from being homeschooled. So CPS, let me let me backtrack a little bit. So CPS has been in our life for I don't know how long. You know, I honestly can't even look at when they entered into our lives. I just know that they kind of were always there. But I do remember it always feeling very scary. Um, CPS in my family was the word that you used like as if someone was dying. Uh, my What I do know, my mom grew up in foster homes as well. My mom grew up around that a lot. She had a, a foster family and she grew up with them in, in Bakersfield and all that stuff. And then, you know, just a lot of tragedy there. And then we knew what CPS was. We weren't stupid to what it was. So we were homeschooled until the middle of my freshman year. So in 2004, way back when, um, which really doesn't feel way back when 2004 was over 17 years ago, you guys, like that's crazy to me. That's insane. <laughs> like 2004 feels like five years ago. Um, so in 2004, uh, we were homeschooled before that. I, I grew up being homeschooled. I always wanted to kind of go to school, but I never wanted to be thrown into school. I did not know how to read until I was nine, uh, nine years old. 
I had dyslexia. Um, and basically, if you don't know what dyslexia is, dyslexia is where things start to turn in your head. When I get stressed out, spelling is always flipping around. Um, yeah, it, it's it's it really str- I struggle a lot with math because of that. It's very difficult. Um, I didn't learn how to read till I was nine and like not even like little words like I did not know vowels. That's how bad it was because nobody worked with me. I didn't know how to do math. When I entered into high school, um, it was March. The school year starts in August. I was put into school in my freshman year in, in March. I was told by all of my teachers that I would not pass the class. There was only two out of the six classes I had that I passed with a C. Two, cl- two that's it. And it was PE that I still had to redo. And it was choir. Like, if you are listening and can't see my face right now, like, wow, the two easiest thing you can, you can pass. Um, and I passed it with a C. I couldn't even get an A because of when I came in. So then the other four classes, my teachers are like, we're failing you automatically. I ended the semester with like a 1.5 GPA, which is super low and really hits your self-esteem. So CPS enters, honestly, it's like that friend that you're like, I don't even know when we started talking or hanging out. Like we're just, you were just there. Like you've always just been a part of us. That is how CPS was in our life for, for at least for me. I don't know if my siblings would say the same thing, but for me, it was always like CPS was just always present. Not physically, but just the word. And it was a, it was a hard, a hard word. It was like, again, it was like as if it was death. So I get thrown into school and my high school counselor is like, you will never graduate high school. We're going to, why, I don't even know why you're here. Um, next year, if your grades are pretty much the same, you're going to go into the continuation school. I'm not wasting my time on you. It's pointless. You're going to fail out of high school. I'm not wasting my time on you. I'm not going to talk to you about junior college, um, which is community college, by the way. That verb changed in the 80s, so I don't know why he was still using it. Just anyway, my little tangent. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I was thrown in, had a counselor who just didn't care about me, but I had some teachers that did. Uh, My sophomore year, it was October 9th. 2006, we were picked up by CPS. I remember the day because it was three days before my birthday. And I was at a color guard show and um, I couldn't get a hold of my mom. And that was something that was pretty regular. We would walk to school uh, in the morning. We would walk home at like 9 p.m. at night because I had color guard or I'd get a ride home. Um, And it was just normal for her not to answer. And I kept trying and I kept trying. And and my brother-in-law had told us, like, if you ever get stuck at school and your mom doesn't answer, I want you to call. You call me and your sister. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. So she wasn't answering. And it was like an hour. And I kept trying, kept trying. And I didn't have a, you know, we didn't have cell phones back then yet. The flip phone had just came out. um, And you were only cool if you had a flip phone. So I used a friend's and got to the school, thought my brother-in-law was there. He wasn't, CPS was. And um, that was one of the hardest decisions that I ever have, not decisions, but uh, one of the hardest things I've ever been through. CPS moves very quickly. Um, It is not something where when you get picked up by CPS, it feels good. Um, You know what's happening. You're, You're being ripped apart from your family and they make 
I don't know if they do that. I know that they don't do this on purpose, but it felt like they just don't care to watch how they word things. But my CPS person told me, he's like, okay, so we already have you enrolled in Altaloma High School, which, you know, I was in Fontana and I was like, Altaloma High School, where's that? Like, oh my gosh, you're like sending me off to Timbuktu. And literally I thought it was states away. And he's like, we've split your siblings up to different, um, different houses. You can see them. You, you might be able to get visitations and just all this crazy stuff. So for the four days we were in a foster home. Um, and then my sister and my brother-in-law actually got, um, guardianship of us. So then they moved us into their town home and then, I stayed with them until I was 17 and then, um, 17 and a half. And then they said, you know, she ages out in six months. Like you can keep her or whatever, um, whatever. And at the age of 18, I decided to move out. Um, and I was actually before I, and people don't know this, but I, before I was put into foster homes from the time I was enrolled in school, um, when I was 14, to 16 I was living with a bunch of friends at high school like that's what I was doing every single like three to four days I would I would say like maybe two to three days I would switch to another friend's home so I could get to school um so I was just bouncing because how else do you get to school and when people are telling you they're not going to take you um so I did that so then I'm 18 um I decided to move out to another place with with somebody and that was living in an apartment for a little bit and then I decided I wanted to go back to college um, because I didn't see working at a warehouse or working at a dead-end job all the time I didn't see the the benefit to that I didn't I wanted to teach I wanted to do good things and and I didn't feel satisfied with kind of sitting and doing just paperwork. I wanted to do more. And there's nothing wrong with those jobs at all. Like there's nothing wrong with, you know, going and doing something that you're really passionate about. And I knew that. Um, but (laughs) I was aged out of the foster care system at 18. They closed my file and said, we're, you know, you're good. You're good. Bye. See you later. Uh, no college talk, no college prep from my high school, no college prep from my CPS worker, no college prep from anybody. Um, so I decided to enroll into community college at night. Um, and it's very different than daytime community college. There's a lot of, a lot of older people who are going back to school and there's a lot of people who work all the time. And so, um, I failed my first semester. I worked full-time job and, um, then I went to class. And I had four classes and I failed out and I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I up for this? So I knew because I have a hard time sticking with things and being consistent and, um, you know, I get a lot of, I get very passionate about different things. So I decided to quit my day job, um, get a part-time job or get a couple part-time jobs and go to college. Um, but with that, when your part-time job stops giving you hours, you lose money. And this was in 2008 during the recession. Very smart on my part. It was actually 2009. So I graduated high school in 2008. I took six months off, started college January of uh, 2009. And then right around that time, it was probably about the summer of 2009, I decided it was time to go full time. 
but because you, you know, part-time jobs don't guarantee hours most of the time and there was a recession, um, I lost a lot of hours and I couldn't pay rent and I was homeless. I was homeless for a year. Um, and it was just a lot. It was a lot of things to deal with and go through. Um, but what happened is, is I started to get really passionate about being able to help other people. Um, and I didn't know it at that time in 2009, there were no support programs for foster care kids. It was just kind of like you're a foster care kid. Oops. Okay. Bye. Um, and that's it, you know, and that's pretty hard. Uh, so fast forward to, I got my bachelor's done. I had taken in my siblings and I started looking, um, at PhD programs and I was doing all that fun stuff. And I get to my residency in 2008 or 2000, no, 2018 or 2019. I think it was 2019 was my first residency. Um, so I, I get into my first residency with my school and uh, we're talking about our topic. And I said, I want to do something on foster care programs and I want to create something. And um, my professor was like, don't change the world. Like you can't change the world in a dissertation, but what you can do is you can start researching on it. And he goes, I'm pretty sure they already have something like that. And I want you to look into it. So I found my gap. My gap was to look at foster care support programs at the community college level in my specifically in my state. So let's go to a little bit of a background on foster care kids. So nationally, foster care kids only graduate with an associate's, a bachelor's, or a master's. It's 3% of college students graduate with some sort of a degree. 3%. That's it. Just three out of 100% of students that go. Now, here's the sad part. 85% of these foster care students who are asked if they want to go to college and high school say yes. When they're in high school, 85% of these students say, I want to go to high school. And only 3% nationally are graduating. And the big question is why? So let's go further. Uh, In California uh, specifically, not specifically, but specifically, um, it is a low, low, low number. So since uh, 2012, College Pathways, California California College Pathways, it's a hard thing to say, say it three times fast. Don't do it because you probably can. I have dyslexia. Don't pick pick on the dyslexia kid. K, K. Um, Sorry. California College Pathways stated that in 2018, they actually looked at how many students had graduated since 2012. Okay. Since 2012, 8,022 kids had graduated with a certificate or an associate's degree or transferred to a university. Okay. Since then, if we did the math from 2012 to 2018, it's about 160,000 foster youth students had aged out of the system. Okay. Based on that number, only 21% of the foster care kids who attended college, and how we got that number is you take 160,000 and you divide it by 8,022. Same time frame, 2012, okay? You have 21% of them attended community colleges, or uh, sorry, colleges in general in California. So of that 160,000 students, foster care students who went to college and from 2012 to 2018 
only 8,022 graduated, that percentage is 0.05% that they graduated. And that's with a certificate and associates or a bachelor's. And the reason why is foster care kids do not graduate because there's a financial um, obligation that they have to pay for school and they don't have that support half the time. There is an emotional uh, support that does not happen. And then there's academic support, academic support that does not happen for these kids. Now, you might be thinking like, well, they're out of foster care. Why don't they just go back to their families? Half the time, their families are still living in the lives that they are with drug addicts, uh, jail. Maybe their parents moved away. Like maybe their parents aren't there anymore. Maybe they're being raised by their grandparents. But at the age of 18, at the age of 18, as soon as they turn 18, they no longer qualify for anything in the system. Now, Yes, they could go in and get a petition with the court to stay in the foster care system until they're 21. But what happens is when you go from being taken care of financially with rent, that's super expensive in California, or food or clothes, and then you try to make it on your own at 18, chances are you're going to get into a sticky situation and you can't pay for books and you can't pay for classes, and you can't get to and from school, your car breaks down, you don't have a mom or dad to call and say, hey, I need you to fix this. You don't have a home to go to when school's not in session. So you have a really high population of foster care students who are homeless and who are on, they're just not seeking education because it's too expensive. So my whole study was on the best practices of what staff do to help these students ensure that they get through their education. And there's six best practices that came from this study. And I think that's just so cool. It's like staff had said, you know, there's, there's these things that I do. And I didn't talk to the same staff at the same community college. I talked to multiple colleges across community colleges across California and all of them, different programs, different abilities in their programs to pay for students. Some not having any money at all. They all said the same thing. And these six things are to make sure it basically just comes down to making sure that foster care students have everything that they need to be able to get through college. And all they got to do is show up for school. And that to me is the coolest thing that this, these programs exist because in 2009, they did not exist. They came after like long after. And I remember like I, t- I was talking to some of these, these staff members and at the end, very end, after I was done interviewing them, um, and we were done recording and everything like that, I, I told a couple of them and just said, Hey, I'm a foster care kid. And this did not exist when I was in community college. And I really wish it did because I would have not been homeless. I would have passed my classes. I would have just had someone to care for me. And I want you to know, and I, t- I did say this to a few of them, and I said, I want you to know you make a difference. And if you are a teacher listening right now, if you are a counselor, if you are a parent, uh, a foster care parent, um, please know that you do make a difference and your words matter and they count. So many times as a foster care kid, there's this, this feeling that those people who are in your life don't really care. Just let's be honest. Like, it just feels that way. 
that you have to care for me because you get paid to care for me. And when you have a teacher or a professor or a, a parent or a guardian or a friend, a friend's parent go above and beyond for you to show you that you are human and that you are loved and that you are seen and that you are known, it makes you go, oh, okay. Maybe they're right. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can get through this. So one of the other crazy things is nationally, again, 3% of foster care kids graduate with a degree of some sort. Only 4% of the nation has a PhD. I am a foster care kid who overcame the 3% to get a bachelor's and a master's. And I'm of the 4% of, of all Americans who hold a doctoral degree. And that's statistically something that just doesn't happen often. It is, it's, it is very, it's not like, it's a needle in the haystack, you guys. Like, that's not to pump me up and to be like, hey, what ifs, like, you did so good and pat on your back and, uh, no, like, it's reality. It's a reality that sucks sometimes because it comes with imposter syndrome. And I think imposter syndrome is something that happens to a lot of people that we just don't talk about. So I'm going to talk about it because we're going to get personal. Um, imposter syndrome, basically what it is, if you don't know what it is, it is just, it is where you, you have these skills, you have these talents, you have these accomplishments, but you're always doubting yourself and you feel like you're a fraud. You feel like you're just faking it all the time. And for me, imposter syndrome really, it, it can cripple me so bad. And it has. Um, I think a little bit of my depression and my anxiety comes from this sometimes too, because I've accomplished all of these things and I've done all of these things. I'm now being able to call myself doctor. And I know, I know from, from, I was, I was so little I was a 15 year old girl 14 year old girl sitting in this office with this counselor who and this person this adult looked at me and said you're not worth it and I carried that for so long that I think I believed it more than I believed that I could overcome things and people were like uh, you know and then th I'm going to pause and I know this is going to go longer than I expected, but so many people are like, you use that as your fire. You use that as your, your go get them, like show them you're wrong. It, no, I didn't. His words crippled me, you guys. Like I contemplated suicide at different points in my life because of how people brought me down with their words you're not worthy you're not worth it you're not loved you shouldn't be loved I heard that from my parents I heard that from counselors I've heard that from adults who should have been speaking life into me they were speaking death over me and so this is why I think my when I do have the, these moments of imposter syndrome it's because those voices come into my head and say you're not good enough and oftentimes rejection plays into that. So when I get rejected a lot, I'm not good enough. 
And I know that that's not true. I know I'm a hard worker. I know that I'm smart. I know that I'm capable. I know that I did a PhD in three and a half years, which is statistically not common. That's the other part. Not only did I beat a statistic to getting uh, graduating as a foster care kid for a bachelor's or an, and a master's degree, which is that that 3% nationally. Um, I went for a PhD that was 4% nationally among all Americans. But I also did it in three and a half years when statistically it's five years to seven years. And that's not like a tune on my own horn to just be arrogant. It's kind of like, dude, what at what point will my imposter syndrome, syndrome tell me I'm good enough? It will never tell me I'm good enough. But... What I have to remember and what I hope that you hear is that, yes, imposter syndrome is real. It happens. You are not your statistic. You are not what's going on in, in, in the failures that you see in your life. You are not those things. Failing is going to happen. Not passing is going to happen, but find something you're passionate about and go talk about it. Get involved. Do it. Um, and I think that that's why, you know, I printed this book. I printed the dissertation because I want to take this book and I want to go to conferences and I want to read about it and I want to be able to flip through the pages and go to things and say, okay, this is what we're going to talk about on this. This is what I have. This is what I can show you. This is the data. Let's do better. Because reality is I might be the only one in the room who's a foster care kid who was told by a couple people I could do it. And I know so many educators and teachers, and I hope you guys are listening to this. Your voice matters to these kids, no matter what the age is, to your friend, the person you think is strong because they're really good at accomplishing things. Tell them that they're doing a good job. So find something you're passionate about. Dig into it. You are not your statistic. You're not a statistic. You are a human being. You are worthy. You are known. You are loved. And know that we all struggle with some sort of imposter syndrome of I'm not good enough. And you are. So I hope you learned something pretty cool tonight. I hope you guys just were able to hear. And I hope you you wake up or find something that you can just know that it puts you on fire to make a difference. Don't let the words of somebody else draw you down in the middle of the night. Don't let that be the fire for you. Let your passions, what you're passionate about, be what puts you on fire. I hope you guys have a great night. Join me next week and we are going to take a deeper dive into anxiety um, and education and uh, self-care. So I hope you guys have a great night. Thank you for listening. And I hope you share this with somebody.